Hello and welcome back to episode 11 of the Double Cross Podcast. I am DJ Cadden and I'm joined by my co-host Ryan Haley. Ryan, it was you, you mentioned it before we got on. It was a great weekend for you. How it, are we feeling? This um it's it hasn't quite sunk in yet, but this is a potential like all-time sports weekend for me. Um, I think uh Really, if you want to consider the core head of it, uh, Rory winning the Masters would probably be the only thing that would jump it. Um, but uh, my uh, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan, uh, my dad, um, Eagles going to the Super Bowl, uh, big Pat Mahomes fan, as I've talked about with DJ on this podcast, he and the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Um, Max Homa won a golf tournament, Rory won a golf tournament, uh, all in the span of like 30 hours. So Quite a, quite a weekend for me, and quite a weekend for you, as I've heard. You were in Tallahassee watching a pretty good college basketball game. We were. I had to go see the boys. Uh, Clemson fan, if y'all couldn't tell. But I am a Clemson fan. Had to go see the boys because they're hot this year. They pulled out a freaking – it was a nail-biter against Florida State. Came down to the final, final five seconds, but great game. Was super worth it. Had a bunch of fun, but – was pulling for the Bengals, they let me down. Pulling for the Niners, they let me down. Pulling for Rom, uh, so I was right. He let me down. Oh, <laughs> so it, it sorry about that. It wasn't a great weekend overall. But I did get to see the Tigers win. I'm happy with that. Uh, yeah, that counts for something. And, yeah, the, the not, like, I don't know. It's it's hard to even I, – I, I won't talk too much about football because it's not <laughs> what we're here to do. But um, even as an Eagles fan, it's hard – like. You you're excited for sure. I'm not trying to say like I'm not excited about like winning the NFC, but like that game just felt like it lacked juice from like the second that Purdy got hit. Yeah. Um, once he so, once he went out, you kind of just knew it was. And I'm not even that big of like a Purdy guy. Like I don't. I think he's like good, but I think it's just like the like that offense is so easy to execute with him. But like at least he was like competent. Yeah. Um, and no shot. Just... And no shot at Josh Johnson. Yeah. But like once. Once that playbook gets limited enough and you know you're going to a fourth-string guy with a defense as good as Philadelphia's, they're just pinning their, pinning their ears back and going. Um, and then he has to come out of the game. Yeah, and then he has to come <laughs> out of the game. I feel like a quarter of, like, decent but not terrible play. He gets hurt. Now you're, like, running, like, Brock Purdy, who, who said he couldn't throw the ball 10 yards. Yeah, it, it's just unfor- unfortunate, unfortunate for the Niners. But uh, I am... At, at the same point, Philadelphia more than took care of business with a twenty-four point yeah. win. So I don't, I don't feel super fraudulent about it. But it, it I, I had, uh, and I will, I won't like take it back. Like it, I'm, not, I'm not gonna like sit here and be like, man, I wish it'd been like a tighter game. But like, I also kind of wish it'd been like a tighter game in one sense. Um, but moving on towards what we we're actually here to talk about and what the point of this podcast is. Uh, we had some great golf tournaments this weekend, as we talked about, DJ. Um, we had on um, the PGA Tour, Max Homa winning his sixth PGA Tour title. Sixth. In what, the past two years? Uh, fifth in the last two years. Fifth in the last two years? He won his second title at Riviera in 2021. His second title. And he just won his sixth in January of 2023. This is unprecedented. I know we we bang this drum every time Max wins another tournament, which is, first of all, within itself, an incredulous statement of yeah. we're so sick of talking about Max Homo winning. But 
he like he made two cuts in 2017. He was like one of the like I don't this would be like if Mitch Trubisky won MVP next year. That like, yeah. That's a this good is a guy who was like a top amateur who like really just couldn't get it together at all. Um and kept bouncing between uh what's now the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Uh, couldn't keep his car. Uh, he's talked about his uh, struggles off the tee ad nauseum on shows like No Laying Up. And just, um, I also, uh, I don't want to, someone pointed out over the weekend, um, He so he started, he won his second tournament um, in February 2021. Um, he started working with Mark Blackburn at Greystone out in Arizona like two months before then. And it's not, like as much as you want to give credit for Max and his hard work for getting to the point where he's a consistent PGA Tour player, it's not hard to miss the connection that two months after he started working with Blackburn, he started winning like a maniac. Um, but what are like, how do you like square what Max Holmes kind of become? Because I wanted to ask you this question. I hinted about this on our Twitter. Uh, Max Homa has entered a uh, PGA Tour round in the th- top five eight times, I believe, either eight or nine, Kyle Porter tweeted this weekend, and he's won six. DJ, is Max Homa the best closer on the PGA Tour? I mean, he's if he's not one, he's two or three. He's got to be – I mean, his, his instincts to just go out there and hit the shots he needs to and put it away is just unreal. And this is a guy that, what, six years – only six years ago at this point – had missed 15 out of 17 cuts and lost his PGA Tour card, had to birdie four holes in a row at a Corn Ferry event to keep his membership, and now here he is. We're talking about five wins in the past past two years, six wins totals on the PGA Tour. That's just absurd. How fine are the margins, man? How how narrow are the margins? Razor thin. Razor thin. Ridiculous that he is like – if he makes par in any one of those four holes, Max Homa might never make the PGA Tour. And now he's a six-time winner. Um, I don't want to say he's a lock for the Ryder Cup because he's still, like, 13th in the world. He still hasn't really, like – like, there are a lot of good U.S. players right now. Like, Max Homa could be the 13th best golfer in the world and, like, the eighth best American or the ninth best American. Yeah. But he feels kind of locky for the Ryder Cup right now, dude, barring, like, a summer slump. Especially because of like the presence that he brings into a locker room, I feel like he'd be heavily, heavily considered for a captain's pick. Oh, um, I think he. I think he. If if he doesn't uh, get a, if he doesn't just qualify, I think he should one hundred percent get a captain's pick. Obviously, he only plays a lot because I mean, you have studs all the way down to freaking Billy Horschel at, at nineteen and Keegan Bradley. But I think Max Holmes is close to a lock for the Ryder Cup as you can get right now. Yeah, I I would agree with you, and so that. This is a question for far, far down the line. But if we're cons- if we're considering Max Homa, DJ, mm-hmm. you got Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, and I'm going in. Okay, I'm going. I'm going to go in official World Golf Board ranking order here for a second. You have. Let me. I'm pulling it up to make sure I get it right. Sc- Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, Justin Thomas. Tony Finau, Max Homa, Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, Cameron Young. Three of those guys have to stay home. Yeah. If I did that math correctly. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, like, and that's not even including Billy. 
three. Yeah. Uh, oh no, uh, that's eleven. Sorry, I I did I did the math wrong. Forget it. Rider fifteen to twelve. I don't know why I was thinking eight, but that's the team. That's the team. There's not a whole yeah. lot of wiggle room. Um, I know Billy Horschel and Keegan Bradley seem to be kind of competing for the last spot. Um, or do, or for the last spot, do you think of a guy like Steve Tagala? Ooh, you know, I love the that rankings. Take. I, I mean, love he's, that he's take. Thirty fourth in the world right now. Listen, man, you do not have to convince me very hard to leave Keegan Bradley at home for Rome. You do not have to sell me super hard on giving it to a like a twenty two year old instead. Uh, but now that my credibility is gone for counting this in terms of eight for whatever freaking reason, I'm trying to think of what I've been thinking of in terms of eight recently <laughs> in like sports where I was like, oh yeah, the only eight guys make the right. Oh, you know what it is. I was watching Rory in Dubai, and all week they were like, oh, the top four in European points and the top four in world points make it, which is their system mm-hmm. uh, or has been their system in the past. Um, and so four and four. Um, but, yeah, that is unfortunate. That was a cool bit that I thought could have landed. And oops. <laughs> but anywho. Yeah, no, I love the Sahit Tagala to the Ryder Cup team. And Sahith had a good week, too. Um, he was tied for second at one point on Saturday, like pretty early on. He holed out for Eagle on two to be three under through two on Saturday. Um, trying to find where he finished. T4. He shot a, yeah, he shot a Sunday 70. 66, 72, 71, 70. Um, a very quiet T4. I never really felt like he was scaring anything. Um, on Sunday, and when you look at his scorecard, it kind of makes sense. Three birdies in his last seven holes. Um, never want to call it a backdoor or a, week, a tournament in 72 holes and around his 18 holes for a reason, but very clearly coming from um, down up. But yeah, I want to I go back to Max Holmes for a second because I feel like we brushed past this really quickly for something that is probably the talk of, the, uh, the talk of golf this week. Um we talked about the whole is Max Homa the best closer in golf. Forget that he is like six for eight in converting top fives into wins. Like that's ridiculous. But like also just like the back nine within itself. Um I'm trying to I'm looking at his shot tra- tracker here on the PGA Tour app or trying to pull it up at least. Um well, like the two par threes. Let's start there. Um, Torrey is a hard golf course. Mm-hmm. Uh, as evidenced by hosting a U.S. Open twice in the last 15 years. Um, with two behemoth par threes on the back nine that are tucked and just not fun. Um, 210 yards, both pins are over bunkers, both greens are not super big. Um, and again, you're playing for millions of dollars. And Max Homa hits a 200 at the 11th hole, which is 213 yards. He hits it to 12 feet birdie, which keep in mind, he's t- like he is tied for the lead when he hits that shot. Like, that's not like he's going for broke, has to make a birdie on this hole just to put pressure on Sam Ryder. That is like stepping up with the tournament squarely on your shoulders. And then 16, when he is going for broke on what is probably the hardest hole on that back nine, from 230 yards, he hits it to 15 feet and buries the putt. <laughs> it's just cold blood. Max, Max 
the most impressive thing to me about Max Homa, it like you get a lot of guys. I mean, the closest comp that I hear for what he's done with these wins is Jimmy Walker as a guy who like wasn't really a household name until all of a sudden he was like fringe top 10 player in the world for like two years. And I don't think Max is like on a ticking clock in that same sense of like, he only has Jimmy Walker's career timeline, but like the guy who like was a journeyman until he wasn't and won like five times in two years. Max Homa has like, like he has, wins he has two wins um uh i'm sorry hold on i'm losing it today i can't form coherent sentences okay max homa has won at quail hollow riviera tory pines um and when he won at i believe it was tpc potomac in 2022 yes tpc potomac was the 2022 wells fargo that he won last year like so he has two major championship courses that have hosted majors recently. He has a major championship caliber course in Riviera that I think should probably get more looks at hosting majors, but like with the Genesis, it's kind of a moot point. Um, and TPC Potomac, which he won at eight under par by two strokes. Max wins hard golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, the only, like he's won the Fortinet twice um, out in Napa. And that's really the only birdie fest he's won. He won when he won at Quail Hollow for the first time. He won at 15 under by three strokes. There were only three guys uh, more than 10 under par, I think. Uh, he won the Genesis at 12 under in a playoff. He won this week at 13 under by two strokes. He won the Wells Fargo at eight under. Like, this is not a guy who like goes to Wiley twice a year and just pins his ears back and goes. Like, he's not winning like the three. Uh, this is not meant as a shot at Tony Finau. It's going to sound like a shot at Tony Finau, but I promise it isn't. He's not winning the 3M and the Rocket Mortgage back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Like, these are tough courses. Um, and that's not to say that Birdie Fest don't have their place and that they're lesser versions of golf, because they're not. They're still golf tournaments in the PGA Tour, and they're still hard to win. But I think the thing that's always amazed me the most about Max Homa is that a guy who can be the silly Twitter dude can also be that ice cold in a professional golf tournament. Like, a guy who can, like take us behind the scenes in his life and kind of be silly, goofy Max and tweet about like, he lies to Ubers about his profession or like, like things about like uh, people in bars with him sitting next to them, say they haven't seen a PGA tour player yet. Um, Or like tweet about being like a fanboy for the Dodgers. And then also be the guy who makes like hits both those iron shots to 15 feet on the back nine. And also be the guy who birdies 18 with the tournament on the line. And, and also the same be, guy who plays a Monday skins game at yes. a muni in Arizona and after, wins. Yeah. After for $400 after winning a PGA tour event for 1.6 million. Yes. Um, but yeah, I wanted to go over. So max on Sunday, uh, I wanted to highlight a couple putts and their lengths that he made, uh, be, be it for par or birdie. Um, he chipped in on three um, for birdie, which was his first one of the day. Uh, but beyond that, well, I mean, including that, because it still counts as a stroke. Um, on five, he made a 12-footer. On six, he two-putted from 25 feet, par five, reached into very great second shot. Um, nine, seven-foot birdie putt. Eight. 
10 foot par putt after hitting his tee shot in the bunker. Um, 11, 15 foot birdie putt, uh, 13, five foot par putt, uh, 15, six foot par putt, uh, 16, obviously the 15 footer for birdie, uh, 17 had a 20 footer leaves it five inches from the hole for a tap in that so many of those. And I mean like five and six feet don't sound super impressive when you're sitting here saying it on a podcast, but like when you're like one back two back leading by one in a PGA tour event, having to make six of those in a day, like six pots between five and 10 feet that racks your nerves. Yes. And for Max to be the guy who consistently makes those, and consistently puts himself in these positions. And also, like, it's just nice because so many times when we hear about this killer instinct with athletes, which I, I don't put the air quotes to pretend like it doesn't exist, but so many times when we hear about this, it's this thing that they can't turn off. It's like MJ-esque of, like, this guy, like, is kind of a jerk, but he's just so good in competition it doesn't matter. And athletes don't know how to switch between competitive and non-competitive. And to have a guy who is so pleasant off the course and so humble and unserious off the course also be this just cold-blooded killer. It rocks. It really it rocks. It's, it's something that the golf has needed for a while as a guy like Max Homa. A 100%. guy that's going <clears> to <throat> critique everybody's swing on Twitter, like yes. Ryan knows from experience. And yeah, he go did out there and, and then go out there and win five events in two years. It's just this is a very welcome sight in golf. But while we're on this topic, I did want to ask you, you kind of, t- you kind of talked about, you know, he's not going out here and just winning quote unquote easy golf courses. He's going out here and winning hard ones. There's a guy that's won three times on the PGA tour, not super difficult golf courses. No, he, he also hasn't really contended at any majors yet. I want to get your opinion on this on, I'll let you pick one. Are you going Victor Hovland or Max Homer right now? Victor's number 11 in the world, I believe. Max is number 13. This is one of those things that, like, it sounds really stupid until you think about it. Um, Like, sitting here candidly, you're like, oh, like, like, with Victor's reputation, you think, like, oh, that's not the tier of golfer that Max is. But um, it is. It is. It's quickly becoming that. And it's becoming that in a very sustainable way. Um, If you go by the strokes gained world ranking right now, Victor Hovland is. One, two, three, four. Victor Hovland is 10th. Max Holm is 14th. Um, If you go by data golf's rankings right now, uh, it's going to take me a second to pull them up. Uh, there we go. If you go by data golf rankings right now, um, Victor Hovland is 13th. Uh, Max Homa is 7th. Max Homa is 7th in the data golf rankings. And that's the thing. It's like his iron play. I, I would take Max. I would too. I would take I Max. Yeah. Um, and that's partially because he's good at He's not as good at the things Victor is good at as Victor is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, he is not as good of an iron player as Victor Hovland. Mm-hmm. But he's not, like, that far behind. Um, if I'm trying to t- – I'm looking at a statistical profile over the last couple of years. Um, 
he gains one and a half, like uh, Data Golf has him at one and a half strokes gained approach. Uh, I don't know if that's per tournament or per round. Let me find his actual statistical profile real fast. Thank wow, you for wow. everyone putting up with me, put it, like doing research live on the podcast. It's incredible. While we're talking about Victor Hovland, do you know who he beat by one stroke in his first PJ Tour victory? Oh, dear. If you get this, I'll Venmo you $100 right now. It wasn't John Ho, was it? No. Okay. I didn't think so. I know he won a Mike Hovind in like 2013. I, I, I know he had like a resurgent, like, holy crap, John Ho's back here, uh, there recently. <laughs> um, so threw dart at a board, but who is it? Josh Teeter. Yeah, no, I was not going to get that. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, putting money on the line to make me think about it. Um, but yes, let me pull up this comparison real fast. Uh, so Max Homa, so far this year, is gaining uh, 2.346 strokes gain around, which is fifth on the PGA Tour. 1.6 of them are coming tee to green. He's gaining nearly a full stroke on approach. He's inside the top 15 in strokes gained approach. He's 20th in strokes gained putting. He's 38th in strokes gained around the green. And he's 57th in strokes gained off the tee. That's a that's a, a elite golfer. That's top 10 golfer. Yeah, that's that's elite golf. Uh Max Homa last year. Let's look. This is gonna be like such a prisoner of the moment thing when Victor Hoffman wins like the open in five months. <laughs> um but last year, Max Homo, 25th in strokes gained off the tee, 36th in strokes gained approach, 57th in strokes gained around the green, 27th in strokes gained putting, 24th in strokes gained tee to green. Um, again, gaining 0.8 strokes around ball striking uh, last year. He's gaining like 1.3 in a small sample size so far this year. Um, and then you look at Victor Hovland last year, and again, his struggles around the greens have been detailed forever. Like it's his reputation precedes him a little bit. Um, but he gains 0.4 strokes off the tee and 0.6 strokes or uh, approach. So Max is about the same strokes gained off the tee. If you look over the last 15 months, um, he is this last run of play makes their iron play about equal. Last year was a much more representative sample size. And Victor Hovland was like significantly better than him gaining about, two tenths of a stroke around more, but Vic loses over half a stroke around, around the green. And just candidly, like when you're trying to, you're trying to pick between top 12 players in the world, you're going to have to split hairs. And until Mm -hmm. that short game gets short, like short up, I, it's gotta be max. And that sounded like a really silly question when you asked it, but I think you're onto something. I I would say the same thing, and then I'll pose another question. If you had to pick, if you had to pick one to win a major first, are you going Max Homa or Victor Hovland? Because I'm going Max Homa again. Um, we haven't really seen either of them truly, truly contend at a major. I know Victor has a. I want to give four at the Open. I want to give Vic credit for the Open. He teed off tied with Rory. Uh, tough Sunday, but I think like teeing off co fifty four hole lead. True, I want to give you credit for. Um, I'm still going to pick Victor when it comes to like an individual week sample size, because I think the odds that like Victor's ball striking again, Max gains eight tenths of a stroke around Vic gains a stroke around in ball striking. But I think the odds are higher that Vic 
Like all Vic needs is like an average week around the greens, like randomly, or he needs to like not miss. Like I don't think the odds are impossible that Victor Hovland hits like sixty-seven greens in a rag and just wins a major at like eighteen under par. Yeah. Like so, if you're telling me on a really hard golf course for one single week, I'm still gonna pick the guy that has the high high ceiling with like one glaring weakness. Um, but week in week out, it's got to be Max. Like emphatically at this point, we haven't seen Victor Hovland be like a top five player in the world since last year's players ended. Mm-hmm. He's been on. A, he's been in a rut. He has been. And I like this is such a non-representative sample size that it feels kind of silly to even bring up. But he has played. Uh, how many tournaments has he played in twenty twenty three? Three, I believe he's played three tournaments. He's he's losing strokes to degree or uh, with his irons. He's played Vegas. five tournaments, uh, four tournaments. Yes, he's played Zozo, CJ Cup, uh, Mayakoba, and Century. He finished tied for fifth at the Zozo, um, tied for tenth at Mayakoba, tied eighteenth at the Tournament of Champions. He is currently losing just over a hundredth of a stroke around with his irons. That's hundred and tenth, and like four tournaments, such a weak sample size, but like. That's so significant. That's two strokes a tournament compared to his average. Um, so, yeah, and even just looking at last year, I mean, Victor, after – if I can find it, this website's being difficult. Here we go. Victor last season uh, went on the run. Um, he, start, he finished T4, T2, T9 through the Genesis, Lauren Palmer, and the players after he won Mayakoba and the Hero back-to-back. He had one top 15, or one top 14 finish after the players. He has three top 10s since last March. It, it, yeah, I was I mean, not expecting a mea culpa on Victor Hovland on this podcast. Power to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's still too small of a sample size and he's too immense of a talent for me to think he won't win a major. But like right now, I, I don't see how it's not Max Oma. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, Max Oma, obviously he's not in the Rom Rory tier because they're in their own tier right now. But he's got to be in that next tier of golfer with your guys like even Scotty Scheffler right now. Oh, uh, let's not guys. let's not do that with Scotty Scheffler. We're I'm all, not saying I'm not saying already, they're the same team. We're already I'm risking not. a lot by putting Victor Hovland <laughs> in the same sentence to Max Oma. I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Yeah, Scotty and Max are the same," and then watch Scotty win like four more times. I'm not saying they're on the same, you know, like stratosphere, talent level, all that. I'm just saying at this very moment, Max Oma's done more for me in the past few months than Scotty Scheffler has. He's done more for anyone in the last two years. He's done more for me than anyone in the last two years other than Rory. Like, sure. It's it's nuts. Um, one last note I want to talk about for the farmers before we move on to the DP World Tour Championship, or if you have any other uh, talks for that. Um, I have I have farmers, one, I have one more. I do want to w- mention Ricky Fowler. I feel like I do this uh, very often. Yes, but he, he did. I get he got up to T4. I think he fell off. He finished T11 at five under. Had a couple of bogeys. But, man, Ricky Fowler looks good again. Yeah. I, he doesn't, I, he doesn't I look remember, elite again, but he's good again. I remember watching the broadcast and being like, oh, I got to bring up Ricky. If I don't bring up Ricky, DJ is going to bring up Ricky. Um, Which, in fair play. Um, But, yeah, I don't really know if 
Ricky's ever going to be top 10 Ricky ever again. But I don't ever want to be in a world where we're like going to the Wyndham word if Ricky's going to lose his card in yeah. a healthy Which season. It felt like and at the, times last year we it was going to that point. It legitimately was. I think I think he was on the bubble. So yeah, he finished 125th, I think, in the in the FedEx. Yeah. So I think we talked about it uh, at length uh, early in the swing season of uh, how we felt about Ricky on what we wanted to see from him this season. Um, and I know the bar was low for a player of his caliber and the player that he's shown himself to be in the past. Um, but he's he's showing what exactly what I felt like he needed to show this year is that there's a heartbeat and there is something there that isn't just grinding out T40s and occasionally bucking on Thursday and then fading back to the pack. Um, he's hung around on some on some leaderboards this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad to see Ricky. Yeah, as a Ricky fan, I mean, I, all I really want to see him do is be on some leaderboards, not be worried about if he's making or missing the cut in Mayakoba and just struggling to stay relevant. But, yeah, Ricky with the new, with new coach, I think he's made some swing adjustments. He's been playing much better. Has only missed one cut this year in six events. Has a T6, T2. Second and a T eleven, so Ricky's playing a lot better. Did want to mention that. Yeah. Um, there's two more things I want to hit on before the farmers. We have one last closing note about the farmers we talked about before we went on air. But I'm going to ask DJ now. Now that John Rom uh has uh faded, as we say, all the way down to like a T seven. What an awful week for John Rom. <laughs> um, but before before we get to John Rahm, there's one thing I want to mention with him. Um, there is now one player on the PGA Tour as mul- who has multiple starts and no finishes worse than third since the calendar year began. You know who that is? One player with no there's finishes one, worse than third? One player with multiple top threes and no other finishes. Like he's only he's played multiple times and hasn't finished outside the top three. Now that John Rahm has had a pitiful week, but it's not Homa, is it? Mm-mm. Well, there's only two other options. Is it Morikawa? It is Colin Morikawa, runner-up at the Century and a third place at the Farmers. Um, are we sleeping on Colin Morikawa a little bit? I think I think we are. I think Morikawa is going to win an event or two this year, and it would surprise me if he bucked his head as a major big time. I mean, he's already got two. So, like, I, I like, that's that's such a ridiculous trajectory he's heading on. Um, I think we do this sometimes with star players early in the year. I think we did it with Rory in 2019, even though he didn't um, actually win a big turn. Even though he won the players, but he didn't win a major. Um, we did we do this with DJ a lot um, in his prime, as uh, a player will like have a bunch of good finishes in a row. Um, or have multiple good finishes in a row, one of them when they blew a lead or blew a chance to win. And we seem disappointed when really it should be like this big blinking neon sign of like, hey, Colin Morikawa is playing really, really well. Um, He's gaining more than a stroke around with his irons so far this season. And funny, he is 12th in strokes gained off the tee. 
Is he really? Colin Morikawa is gaining 1.9 strokes per round off the tee and approach the grade. That's absurd. You can make a legitimate argument that he is ball striking better than anybody else on the planet right now. You could easily. I don't know if I'd say that, but you would have a case. And I would not yeah. have expected you had a case before I dove into the numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been unreal. He played six, five events. He has a tie. His last four are tie 15, sixth, second, and third. Yeah. And I mean, sixth hero in a limited field. Um, but even still, like nine under par. Um, and then the second of the century, we're like, I know the takeaway is Colin Morikawa blew a seven stroke lead, but like he also had a seven stroke lead to blow. Um, so I would be pretty shocked if we get to like mid March and Colin Morikawa hasn't won a tournament or at least like contended, contended again. Um, but yeah, I'll call my shot. I think by the end of the Florida swing, he's won a tournament. Yeah, this season. It, I think he's going to win at least one. It wouldn't surprise me if he won two. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Maybe not by the end of the Florida Swing winning two, but like this season third, overall, third, I agree. Third season, third, third there season. are there aren't that many left, events left before the end of Florida, <laughs> but I appreciate your I appreciate your confidence. Um, now the point that I wanted to bring up, we talked about John Rom, your pick, uh, before this tournament began. Um, it looked like he was dead in the water after Thursday. Um, a really disappointing seventy three. Um, I think he played the North Course too, which was even more surprising. Uh, that he was on what is emphatically the easier of the two courses and just could not get it. No, he did play the North. He did play the uh, South course on Thursday. My apologies. Um, but the fact that he played like kind of neutral the entire day, Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday, it looked like he was trying to do an impression of Mr. Freeze, uh, 67, 66, just terrorizing the field, catapulting up the second, uh, it was only two back of Ryder. He was nearly even money to win on uh, on gambling boards going into today and just cannot get out of the starting gates from the get-go. Um, Sunday shoots a 74, only had two birdies the whole, or three birdies the whole day, two of them coming in the last five holes. Um, he uh, bogeyed the opening hole from the middle of the fairway, uh, 157 yards um, into the green. Uh, second hole, middle of the fairway, 115 yards of the flag, par. Third hole, hits it to 21 feet, par. Um, fourth hole, middle of the fairway, 129 yards in, par. Uh, fifth hole, misses the fairway, uh, makes a double. Uh, sixth hole, par five, he birdies it, gets out of the gate a little bit, gets back to two over for the day, and then immediately follows it with a bogey after another pulled tee shot on seven. Um, this, as I mentioned to you off air, this is a really stupid take. It's not really a take because it's fake. It's a fake stat. John Rahm won a major at Torrey Pines. He's won four times since last October. We were just talking about him being the best player in the world, um, which was we'll get to later, was also probably a little premature uh, last week, um, as good as he's been. Mm-hmm. Um, he's won this tournament before. He won a, ma- he won a major here two years ago. But doing the best work I could to research because it's not like readily available. This is the fourth straight year at the farmer's insurance open that John Rahm has been either first or second after 54 holes. And he has not won. And again, like I told you before, when I first found that stack, 
I bet you if he won all four of those and didn't win the U.S. Open, he'd trade them in a heartbeat. So this isn't really a take. It's 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 fake. It's not a real stat. But for a guy that like owns Tory Pines, you would think he would close this tournament out better on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially after Friday and Saturday, you're thinking this is his tournament to lose, even with Sam Ryder as as the I think two shot leader was it? Yes, but he led by two. John Rom, who I, we talked about last week as the best golfer in the world, at worst he's number two. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a course he's played very well at. Obviously, won a major, won this tournament, and then tore it up on Friday and Saturday. It just didn't make sense that he couldn't get out of the gate on Sunday. And I, that's so it's a it's a weird trend, but it's almost like he he plays so well here even without winning that it's just it's so it's just a weird kind yeah. of trend i guess there's not really an a takeaway Who won to be the had. years he the other years that he came in um so the top. last uh four champions let me find this i know luke list won last year when john rom was in a big tie for second uh and then patrick reed in 2020 um, the uh, infamous, um, or was I think it was twenty twenty one. The uh, infamous uh, dig. Um, gotta love P. Reed. I am. Uh, we'll talk. We are going to talk <laughs> plenty of P. Reed later. Um, let me find this. Make sure. I'm. I'm usually much much better at this off the top of my head. Um. Yeah, okay, Max Homo, Luke List, Patrick Reed, and then in 2020, it was Leishman. Leishman beat Rom by one, and then 2019, Justin Rose ran away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2019, uh, Justin Rose was leading, I believe it was Rory and Rom going into Sunday, because that was in the midst of Rory's, like, really awesome, like, he keeps top-fiving and not winning stretch to start the year, um, and Rose ran away with it. Uh, 2020, Mark Leishman nipped John Rahm. Uh, 2021, Patrick Reed won by five uh, per sources. I'm still doing my own research into that tournament. Um, and then Luke List, Will Zalatoris, Pat- uh, John Rahm was second last year, faded uh, against two guys that really hadn't won on the PGA Tour before with the guys who bucked their heads. And then this year, Max Homa. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just weird. It's and he's not he's not losing to slouches either. I mean, he's losing no. to uh, Luke List. I guess is the is the the worst out of those guys. But Luke List is still. I feel like golf Twitter. I feel like golf Twitter have been waiting for Luke List to win a tournament for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> like ever since I downloaded Twitter, everyone was like, "Bet Luke List every week." <laughs> um, and then the one week I don't hear about it, he wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just weird. He's losing to Max Homo, top ten golfer, uh, Patrick Reed, who was, I mean, he's still a really good golfer. As much as people, as much as we hate on him, he's still a talented golfer. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just weird. Leishman's good. Still plays really well at this course, but it's just a weird trend. Yeah, it's just I don't again would if out of the. 
six final rounds he's been within the top five at Farmers in the last couple of years. I bet you the one he wanted to win is the one he won. Mm-hmm. So just a weird little trend I wanted to notice. But John Rahm is uh, still playing incredible golf, really hard tournament this week, bookended by uh, a couple rounds that probably cost him a win. Um, this is probably going to be a tournament that, as well as Max played today, that's another, like, to circle back to Max, six under was a score today. There, yes, he, and, he and Keegan Bradley shot 66. Jason Day shot 68. Colin Morikawa, Hideki Matsuyama, Eric Barnes shot 69. Only players to break 70. Six guys broke 70 in a full field on Sunday on the PGA Tour. And Max made one bogey on a hole that was honestly a pretty good bogey once he got into it. Uh, really bad tee shot, flared it right, left his second shot 30 yards short, didn't quite get up and down. Um, but seven birdies on a day where six people broke 70 is nuts. Um, so I wanted to give one final round of props there. Um, but I don't think John Rahm shooting over par twice in three rounds on the South course at Torrey Pines makes me think less of the streak that he's currently riding. Uh, and I know that a tied seventh finish absolutely doesn't make me think less of the streak that he's currently riding. Um, but if I could do this transition, it pr- last week's success for John Rom probably made us get a little too excited and forget about the guy who has been world number one for the last uh, three or four months or so. Um, did we get a little too excited to say someone other than Rory McIlroy was the best player on the planet? Because I think we might have gotten a little too excited. I think we did. Uh, Rory McIlroy wins the uh, Omega Dubai Desert Classic uh, over in Dubai. Uh, by one stroke over Patrick Reed, he makes a 14-footer on the last hole, a par five that he shockingly laid up on. Um, I know he uh, – so the 18th hole, Rory comes leading by one, uh, nearly drives it through the fairway into the water. He's so juiced. Um Comes up in the comes up in the rough and in a moment that I think would have made thirty year old or 29, 30 year old Rory crazy, but clearly shows a little bit of maturity he's gained over the last couple of years. Uh, lays up to 90, 93 yards, hits a wedge to fourteen feet. Um, before anything else, uh, I don't think that's a way we've really seen Rory win in a minute. I'm trying to think of his other wins. Um, it feels like a lot of the tournaments that he's been winning, and he's won a lot. It's Rory. Um, but he's won a lot over the last couple of years. But just going through his last couple wins mentally in my head, um, CJ Cup this past year at Congaree, he was controlling it the entire back nine on Sunday, kind of came in soft into the house, never really had a true threat over the last, like, six holes or so. Um Tour championship felt like a, like that was a massive putt he made to beat Scotty. Um, mm-hmm. But coming up the 18th hole, it felt like it was pretty assured uh, based on the way that he and Scotty played. Um, RBC, RBC, uh, Justin Thomas. Uh, he made a great birdie on the 17th hole to kind of distance himself from JT. Um, but again, coming up the 18th hole, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on that putt on the 18th green. Uh, Wells Fargo when he won there. Uh, in 2021, he kind of BS'd his way up the last hole to win by one. Uh, made a really weird bogey, but he still made the bogey. Um, 
the CJ Cup when he beat Morikawa last year was another similar situation where he was had a multiple stroke lead on the back nine on Sunday and just kind of piloted into the house to win by one. Um, outside of that bomb he made on 15 at Eastlake, I think it's been a while since we've seen Rory make a mid-range putt on the last green with like make this or it's a playoff. I think it might be since the tour championship with Ryan Moore. And that was a playoff. So it's like a little bit different, maybe the Arnold Palmer in 2018, but he won that yeah. by three strokes. Um, But so many of his wins, even his one stroke wins are kind of like almost backdoor one stroke wins. A lot of the time where he like controls it very easily and like goes to the last hole, knowing that par bogey went like wins it for him. It just plays for that. Um, I don't think Rory needs a whole lot of confidence boosts right now. Um, but I think that's a big thing is like sitting over a 14 foot putt, knowing it's do or die and holding it. Um, impressed and very impressive for him to win in a way that he usually doesn't win. That was not an overpowered birdie in the last hole. He laid up to a number, hit it to 15 feet, made the putt. Um, incredibly impressed. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a sick win. Held off a, a insane final round from Patrick Reed. Ooh, which we'll is just a, a whole nother story but it, Rory McIlroy I mean the best golfer in the world his last I think is around last 15 events I don't feel like counting he has four wins and he's missed one cut everything else is inside the top since the Masters every finish he has besides the FedEx St. Jude is inside the top 20 his worst being a tied 19th minus that missed cut and four wins mm-hmm. so I mean he hasn't, nobody's, he hasn't nobody's playing better than Rory. He hasn't finished worse than fourth worldwide since August at the BMW Championship. Yeah, where he had a terrible tied eighth finish. Yeah, horrible, horrendous. Uh, finished eighth in BMW, wins the Tour Championship, um, and then playing on the DP World Tour since then. Uh, is a second at the BMW PGA, a fourth at the Italian Open, wins the CJ Cup at Congaree, which defending his title at a different course for the second time this year, which I think is another Rory thing that we never really put enough like thought into. is like He defended two separate tournaments that changed courses this year. He mm-hmm. won the RBC Canadian Open, a three-year title defense at a different course. Um, then he won it in 2019. And then he won the CJ Cup when it was in Vegas. It was in Shadow Creek, and then it was at Congaree. Um uh, tied fourth in the Donald Links with a 66-66 weekend, a uh, full Mackenzie Hughes. Um, finished fourth in the DP World Tour Championship. Couldn't really catch a runaway John Rahm after an opening 71, but still finished 16 under. Uh, and then a win this week. So, yeah, John Rahm is playing great, great golf, and I think they're very clearly one and two right now, no matter what the official rankings say. And that's not a shot at Scotty Scheffler. Scotty just hasn't been playing as much. And hasn't yeah. been like no one's playing. Like, if you sit on the couch for a while, and Scotty hasn't played much, but like if you are on the couch for a while and only play a couple times, and some guy has like eight top fours in like 12 weeks, yeah, he's playing better golf than you are. Yeah. Um, Scotty Scheffler in February, April of last year is on this level, at least yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I still think once Scotty gets into the season, we'll see a like we'll see more of a challenge. But listen, man, if this whole season is Rory and Rob just fighting for world number one, sign me up. Yeah. Heavyweight on heavyweight. Um but 
uh, we talked about impressive ways that Rory won. Um, speaking candidly, as someone who has followed Rory's career with great interest for a very long time, um, I tried to stay up as long as I could. Uh, on Eastern time, Rory teed off at like 12.30, um, and I made it until he was on the 12th hole, I think, before I passed out. Um, I Because it, it was a Sunday night, Monday morning finish here. Uh, I'd watched football all day. I hadn't slept well the week before. Um, tried to make it, couldn't make it. But this just screamed of like one of those tournaments that Rory has like given away on Sunday in the past. Of He starts the round with a three-shot lead, makes eight straight pars to start the day, seven straight pars to start the day, um, eight straight pars to start the day. Sorry, I can't form sentences. Um, Rory makes eight straight pars to start the day and looks up and he's tied. And Patrick Reed is like right there. Or Patrick Reed is one back at the time. Sitting on the ninth fairway, which is not an easy hole at that golf course. Um, and he plays the last 10 holes four under. I've seen Rory lose that tournament before. We saw him lose that tournament at the Open, where mm-hmm. he start, like, shows up with a big lead, uh, tries to pilot into the house, and then looks up and he's getting caught and he falls asleep a little bit at the wheel. Um, and he doesn't really realize that he's now in chase mode until it's the 15th hole. Um, and so that was really big for me to see him do to see him do that to see him look up see that someone was answering the bell and answer it back um birdie's nine birdie's 10 uh birdie's 17 and 18 uh to hold off pat um yeah again birdie in the last two this is just a way that rory hasn't won much recently is like starting out as a front runner getting caught and then holding it off anyway I've we've seen him lose these tournaments time and time again the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean it, it. Obviously, wasn't the open obviously because no. that's the open. But it, he just comes out and plays safe, and he's getting caught, like you said. And you know, he's the best golfer in the world. I think he was. I mean, at worst, he's second best. Like we said, same thing with Brom. But yeah, I mean. It feels good to see him win this tournament after what happened at the Open where he kind of just let Matt Fitzpatrick um, kind of work. Or Matt Fitzpatrick won the Open, right? I'm not tripping. No, he won the U.S. Open, man. Cam US Smith. Open. Cam Smith. Okay. Got it. Just let Cam Smith come around. He could. Yeah, I mean, it just feels good to see him win a tournament in this way, like you said. And I guess that kind of just leads us into the second biggest story of the week on the DP World Tour, which is Patrick Reed, who had who shot seven under on on uh, in the final round to lose by one stroke to Roy McIlroy. But the bigger story here is the controversy yet again from Patrick Reed, just always in some sort of trouble. Uh, what hole did that happen on? I didn't get to watch. Seventeen on Saturday. Seventeen uh, on Saturday. The seventeenth hole on Saturday. I'm sorry. Take he, it away. He hits a. It was his drive, right? He hits it into a tree. Nobody really knows where it is. He doesn't know where it is. And 
the rules official asked him to identify the markings on the ball. And it was up, it had stuck in the tree. And what was the a clump of trees? A clump of trees. What was the I didn't get, I haven't still haven't watched the full video of it yet just because I haven't had the chance to. I've been out of town, but what was the I guess you probably watched more of it than I did, but what was the ruling and everything? Let me make sure that I have the ruling correctly because I, the last thing I want with the amount of back errors we've just casually thrown around today um, <laughs> is to like not get this right and everybody's favorite twitter account use golf oh, use golf facts is back that's right um trying to uh clarify you know what while i look up the ruling why don't you talk about t-gate a little bit deej because this isn't this also happened this week and we need to talk about that too t-gate yeah the, the Reed throwing a T at Rory on the range. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That happened this yeah. week. It feels like a year ago. <laughs> yeah. What what day was that? Monday, Tuesday? That's early in the week. That's a practice was, round. I don't know. It was either Monday or Tuesday. It's, it's a practice round. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What, one of those days. Rory, or Reed goes over to talk to... Uh, Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Goes over to talk to Rory's caddy. Or was it his? It was his coach, Caddy, something like that. It was, it was it was his caddy, Harry Diamond. Which, first of all, Reed later said that he went over to wish Harry Diamond a happy New Year on like the twenty fifth. <laughs> yeah. So that was sick. <laughs> first of all, um, but he like leans over, like he very clearly shakes Harry Diamond's hand, and leans over to Rory, and Rory does not acknowledge him in any way. Rory's on the ground, like looks like he's lining up an alignment stick. And Rory doesn't acknowledge him. And Reed turns away and starts laughing. And then after a couple feet, fishes into his pocket, turns back towards Rory and just like half chucks a tee at him. <laughs> and Rory, Rory, and then talks Patrick later. Reed has the audacity. No, and then Rory, say, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Get the, Rory talks later. I think Rory's media session was first. Uh, and Rory talks later, and someone's like, "Why didn't you acknowledge Patrick Reed?" Which, first of all, there's a video out there on Twitter of a reporter asking a really weird question of like, do you plan on reconciling with Reed anytime soon? Which Rory kind of like scoffed at and rolled his eyes. Um, but like he said, he mentions that Rory's lawyer served him a subpoena 4 PM on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and Dylan, I think it was Dylan, the chair from golf.com is like, yeah, I found the court record. This is a subpoena from 4 PM on December 24th. Um, and like, and so use golf facts, the burner account that is confirmed to be at least associated with Patrick Reed. I don't know if it's run by him or a family member, but, or what, but tweets like when, um, I think they responded to no laying ups tweet about him. It was like, yeah, Rory was serving subpoena. Um, and this use golf facts account is like, Reed's not associated with that case. This is such a false story. Rory's being a child. And then Reed, I'm, I'm using that word because Reed used that word. Like the next day, and called yeah. Rory an he said, child and said, if he's going to be a true child, I'm going to treat him like one. Yeah, that's what I have pulled up. He said, he, he said he had one of the team aces, IVTs in his pocket, and he just flicked one at Rory. And he said, if you're going to act like an immature, immature little child, then you might as well be treated like one, <laughs> which is just an a, a unreal way to start the week. This is such insanity. And then them um, being one and two was just. Okay. Perfect. 
so then later on in the week, Patrick Reed, uh, Rory is uh, takes a commanding lead on Saturday, seven birdies, shoots 65 to lead by three. And Reed plays a decent round to move himself, and I believe was tied for fourth, four strokes back. And on the 17th hole, Patrick Reed hits his ball on the drivable 17th um, into a clump of three trees. He pushes it right, uh, and the ball never comes down. The cameras watch it. They see it go into the trees and never comes down. And Patrick Reed and an official using binoculars identify a ball that Reed said he can see the arrow on that he drew and is his, takes an unplayable lie and makes bogey. Well, a couple hours later, once golf Twitter is awake and rewatching the reruns of the day, they see that Patrick Reed and the rules official in this clump of three trees are not looking in the same tree that Reed's ball disappeared into on the overhead camera. <laughs> As a clump of like three trees that kind of made a triangle and Reed's tree went into the first one on kind of the right side and they were looking at like the one sticking out to the left. And so golf Twitter is like, that's not the tree that his ball went into. Um, and for what it's worth, uh, Rory said later on in the day that it, he was like, Reed was standing there with the rules official and said any other player, it would have been a non-issue. And I do agree with him, but I also like, you lose benefit of the doubt when you've done this this many times. If you're Patrick yeah, Reed, um, Patrick Reed doesn't get any benefit. I don't, of the doubt I don't, anymore. I don't feel like I understand the perspective that like Patrick Reed might've just legitimately made a mistake and was like sitting there with the rules official who directed him to a different tree. And it's like spotting a ball in a tree is hard. But I also do not feel bad for Patrick Reed at all that this is a controversy because this is a bed that he's made himself for him to lie in. Um, And so Sunday rolls around uh, and Patrick Reed is four back of Rory. uh, As we talked about, Rory's kind of strutting to a big lead. And Patrick Reed just comes out gangbusters on Sunday. Birdies three of the first six holes, Eagles 10, birdies 11, birdies 13. And all of a sudden, this is like a tight tournament. And Rory said later on that this is one of the hardest final rounds he's ever had to focus on in his life. Knowing that, like knowing who, like he never said it, but like knowing that it's Reed. Yeah. Um, and I misspoke earlier. Rory made one birdie on the third hole uh, early in the final round. Um and then birdied 9, 10, 11, bogey 12, birdied 13, birdied 17, and 18. Um, so the second that Reed pulls within one, Rory birdies three of his next five, or four of his next five holes. But Rory said this is a hard round to focus on, and he said it like he, he'd be lying if he said it wasn't any sweeter. Oh, I'm looking at Lucas Herbert's scorecard. That's why it looks wrong. My laptop is failing me. Rory did par the first <laughs> eight holes. That's why that looks so weird. I thought I clicked... Uh, I apologize to the listeners out there. I thought I clicked Rory's name and my lap, my Chrome window like resized itself. So I clicked on Lucas Herbert's name and the name just disappeared at the top of the tab. So I was like, this is not what I thought Rory shot. Uh, but Rory birdied 9, 10, 13, bogeyed 15, birdied 17 and 18. Um, so DJ, you can leave that in there to make me look like an idiot yet again in this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is like, I don't know why I doubted after Tuesday morning that this tournament wasn't going to come down to like Rory needing to beat Reed. Um, but God, does anyone, I, I don't even want to praise him. I don't want to, I don't want this to sound like praise because he doesn't deserve it. Even as like a golf game thing. Um, this is someone who is flagrantly violated the integrity of the game multiple times. Does anyone motivate himself as the heel 
more than Patrick Reed. No. Like, does anyone see the consequences of their actions and get so pissed off that they just are like any week that Patrick Reed is a controversy before Thursday, it's like instant top 10. Like he just, he gets so upset when people hold him accountable. It's like really, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny that he can do that so effectively. Um, but yeah, no, Patrick Reed's just so good at that. I don't know why I consider this to be come down to anything other than Rory versus Reed. Um, the, uh, what the, there was a day there was a chance they had to, there was a day they had a chance to be paired up. They were. I think they were paired. Been, they were. They were. I thought they were. I thought there was a chance, um, but they do that. They do their pairing differently on the DP World Tour than on the PGA Tour. I think. So I think they might be pretty good. I think they might have been the same time off different tees on Thursday and Friday, but mm. Golf Channel was the app that you tracked it on, and so it just showed me the same time for their tee times. Um, so I believe for the first two rounds, they were same time, different tees. Uh, but I could be very wrong. That's not going in a social clip because I can't prove it. But yeah, I mean, just... but yeah, um, I feel like we're probably both going to be in agreement on this. Um, DJ, who do you think was the immature child during T-Gate? Which one of the two? Agreed. Yeah, That's there agreed. we go. I mean, Rory's obviously uh, obviously Rory ignored him. I, I think we can agree on that. But Rory's over there lining up a shot. Reed just goes over there, says hello, and then just throws a tee at him. Obviously, the guy doesn't want to talk to you. I mean, if that's me, I'm just walking away. I'm not getting something out of my pocket and throwing a tee at somebody like a four-year-old would do. Yeah, it's like. And the used golf facts burner account tried to associate like, oh, like Larry Clayman wasn't representing Reed in the instance that he served Rory a subpoena. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. You've also done like dozens of different things to make other guys in the VGA tour not like you. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, man. Like, I mean, he's, he's a part of how many lawsuits right now? Yeah, and he like Rory has been served on several of those that weren't Reed. So like, forgive him for seeing Larry Clayman serve him a subpoena and is like, oh my god, Pat again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I just can't fathom Golf Digest I believe it was still Dan Rapport while he was still there wrote a really great piece about Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau but when they left the PGA Tour um, and how Patrick Reed has cycled between so much representation over the last several years um, how insulated do you have to be to like think that you're in the right in any of this like that's my main takeaway every time i see another addition to the patrick reed saga is like how reaffirming and just like pandering do the voices in your room have to be and how do you have to keep them being that pandering to look at all of this and think that it reflects well because i don't even care i'm not even trying to come at this from the perspective of like can Patrick Reed sleep with himself at night? He's such a bad person. Like, forget all that. Unless you are like marketing yourself like golf's WWE villain, which I don't think he's intentionally doing. Yeah. Like, this is still a PR marketing thing. Like, at like at what point do you have to have someone critically look you in the eye and be like, dude, this sucks? Like, as a look, all of this is bad. Uh, he's just surrounded by yes men. I mean, this goes all the way back to his time at Georgia. Got caught cheating, got kicked out, went to Augusta State. But I mean, just just 
rule violation after rule violation. It's just, I mean, he still has a tweet up on his Twitter that was meant for use golf facts. Very. He clear. never deleted it. He never yeah. deleted it. I think I have, hold on. I think I have a screenshot of it because I tweeted it out not too long ago. What did he say? I thought I had a screenshot of it. I, I must have deleted it, but he has a screenshot or there's a tweet on his page. That was very clearly meant for used golf facts, right? Like every other used golf facts tweet there is. I mean, defending him, obviously, because that's what used golf facts does. How do you watch, you know, this incident, This the incident with the sand? Um, was that at the Masters? Where he, no, that was the Hero World Challenge. He scooped out sand but twice behind his yes. ball. I mean... I don't it, when the evidence is that clear that you weren't in the right it just amazes me that somebody can sit there and defend themselves time after time at some point you have to be able to admit that you're wrong but obviously using Reed's own words he acts like an immature little child so it's not very surprising I just don't know what the branding idea is here. Like, I don't know. At least he's consistent, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've missed it on here before, but this is the same guy that when he won the Masters, however many years ago that was, he got booed on the – Yeah. You didn't hear it on TV, say, but he got booed on the 18th green after winning the Masters. In, his, in the town that he went to college in, he got booed. I was, I was going to say – Rory talked about this win being a little sweeter than the usual win on the PGA Tour and harder for him to focus. And I think a lot of that comes back to T-Gate and Reed just being a general terror to his fellow PGA Tour players. I think more of it than we're giving credit for comes back to that 2018 final round at Augusta. Mm -hmm. I think that it obviously is going to haunt Rory until hopefully when, but if he wins a green jacket. Um and I think having to be there in that group and see Reed, knowing his likely opinion of Reed as a person, having to see this guy in the same group as you win the tournament that you want more than anything else in the world has to be just mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. um, so he's always handled it really gracefully. He's never really talked about it. But I think on top of everything with T-Gate, that had to be a little bit in his head. Had to. And then one um, more thing about Reed. Who in golf likes Patrick Reed? Patrick like Reed. How many, how many allies does he have anywhere in the golf world? I don't think he, he doesn't need allies, dude. He just needs people to tell him that he's in the right sometimes. <laughs> um, which, for what it's worth, he's always been a bit of a lone wolf. Um, True. But, like, I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to be on his live golf team. Um, Me neither. But... Last note I have on Dubai. Um, Michael Thorbjornsson was like T2 after two rounds. Finished 20th at nine under. Um, shot a 64 on uh, Friday after he bogeyed the first hole, which was sick. Um he was 10 under with a bogey. Under on the, the back. Yeah, 
pack nine thirty on a par thirty seven with an eagle on the eighteenth to end. <laughs> um, obviously seventy three seventy two wasn't the weekend he wanted, but um, that new generation's coming. It is, and they're coming quick. It, it even feels weird to say Thor Bjornsson's like coming because like he nearly won the Travelers, <laughs> like yeah, last summer at twenty years old. So. I've been bullish on him since he made the cut at Pebble and played as well as he did um, at the U.S. Open in 2019. But this just continues to stack up reasons that I have zero, zero doubt in my mind that by the age of like 24, he'll be like a top 25 player in the world. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, you you talked about it. The the class of amateurs right now is just unreal unreal even the i mean yeah i mean you can go as far down as a guy like <clears throat> as a guy like travis vick i mean everybody above him is just those guys are just it feels like they're going to be stars sooner rather than later and i i feel like gobri once is already a star um sam bennett uh ascended into it, it kind of a, a star at the USAM just with his swag and how good he is. Yeah. Well, individual national Sam champion. Bennett, Sam Bennett was a uh, divisive star at the USAM. He was. Uh, I thought it was fun. Not everyone in golf thinks that the club twirling swag is fun. Oh, I um, love granted, it. As much as it I, hurt to watch Georgia Southern, fellow Georgia Southern student Ben Carr lose, it, Sam Bennett played his ass off. I I dug the swag. Pace of play might need a little bit of improvement, but we'll get oh, there. That's oh he, he's young, he's young. We'll get we'll get there. But I I think that like I don't want to dumb it down to like golf golf people hate the club twirl when he played like five hour rounds. But yeah, well not we're not we're not talking Sam Bennett right now. He's he's definitely one of those guys that's coming. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of Austin Greaser. I mean, there's just a ton of really good amateurs right now, and it's. It feels like we're saying this every year. I mean, these guys are going to be stars in two or three years. These are going to be the guys we're talking about, top 25. Yes, emphatically. I couldn't agree more. Well, we have a tournament this week to preview as well. We unless you have any further notes on Dubai and the DP World Tour. I do not. Do you want to talk about Munoz before or after the tournament this week? Um. Let's talk about tournament this week first. Okay. Um, just for a multitude of reasons. Um, but yeah, let's talk. Let's talk PGA Tour first. Uh, Pe- Pebble Beach. Uh, before anything else, DJ, what are your thoughts on this tournament as a concept? I like it. I mean, okay. it, it, it's it's divisive as a as a tournament. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see any problem with it. I like it. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's fun once a year. Um, I think the yeah. television product could be better. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Pebble Beach is a pro-am. Uh, they invite a lot of celebrities. Uh, Josh Allen, GJ's quarterback, uh, QB1 will be playing this year. Skipping out on the Pro Bowl. Um, well, yeah, I can't blame him. Um, <laughs> you know who's not skipping out on the Pro Bowl is Snoop Huntley. Hell yeah. Yeah, woo. Woo. Three um, touchdowns. Two. Um, oh, it's even worse. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dog on him right now. He's he came, he came a QB sneak away from beating the Bengals. But anywho, um, yeah, I mean, at, for a, a, a once a year tournament, it's fun. It's, it's it's a very fun concept, and it's the kind of thing that will make people who aren't traditional golf watchers like turn on the TV one day and be like, "Oh my god, that's Bill Murray." Um, the pace of play is not great, and. I could stand for I, – I know – I'm sure with the pace of play it's hard, but I wish that we got to see more of the people in the field rather than, like, the celebrities. Yeah. But at the same point, I understand the sales pitch behind it. I know I'm not exactly the target audience for this tournament. Um, I wish that this wasn't on Pro Bowl week. If I could pick a golf tournament to be the week of the Super Bowl, it would be this one. And I know that it can't be because a lot of these celebrities probably also want to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday or may probably go knowing the tax bracket that a lot of them are in. Yeah. But if I could pick a tournament in the West coast swing, like I would much rather this be on Super Bowl weekend than Phoenix. But yeah, definitely. As we jump into it to preview this tournament, Jordan Spieth is the pre-tournament favorite at nine to one. He is the lowest tournament scoring average at Pebble beach in history. I saw Justin Ray tweeted earlier this week, which by the way, we don't have a big platform, but anyone who is on here, follow Justin Ray. He rocks. Such yes. good stats. Um, but Jordan Spieth, 9-1. to one. Matt Fitzpatrick, Victor Hovland, 10-1. to one. Do you know who is the fourth favorite to win this golf tournament? 16-1, to one, according to uh, Sportsline that I'm seeing here. Because um... I thought he'd be further down the board, and I thought I'd look smart, and I will not, because he is not further down the board. Who is it? Mav McNeely. He does have a recent runner-up finish here. Um, I don't remember if it was 2022 or 2021. I think it was 2022. Um, but was not expecting Mav McNeely to be 16-1 to in a PGA Tour event this season. Yeah. Uh, especially before April. Um, Tom Hoagie, 17-1, to defending champion. Uh, Mav was 2021 because Jordan Spieth was runner-up last year mm-hmm. uh, to Tom Hoagie. Uh, Seamus Power nineteen to one, Justin Rose twenty four to one. So, DJ, one of the thinnest fields of the early season. Um, one of the strange, like one of the less uh, traditional uh, tournament styles of the year. Do you have any lean or any player you want to watch for this week? Look, I know we picked a lot of chalk. On this podcast, the past couple, we of have weeks. indeed. Yes, we have. But this tournament lends itself to multiple time winners. There's been 13 players that have won this event, at least more more than once. Are you picking who I think you're going to pick? You're picking <laughs> who I think you're going to pick. I'm picking Jordan Speed. Yeah, there we go. I, I, I he's the favorite. He's the favorite. He's the favorite. He was runner up last year. He's won here before. It lends itself to multiple-time winners. Phil Mixon has five wins here. Marco Mir also has five wins here. But it it just feels like – it doesn't feel like that. I'm just going off of – as 13 multiple-time winners, he's the betting favorite. He's good enough to do it. Give me Jordan Speed. I mean, I don't think you can really hate it. Um, I am not going to pick him. I'm just going to claim him like a coward. Um, because uh, his re- like upon further inspection, his recent form is not good enough for me to like 
pull the trigger, but my eyes just immediately go to Taylor Pendrith at 48 mm -hmm. to one. Uh, hasn't been playing as well. Missed the cut last week at Tory, or missed the cut two weeks ago at the Amex um, T60 at Tory. Um, doesn't have a top 10 since the BMW Championship, but this is the guy who had uh, from the players to the BMW Championship la uh, last year went T13, T13, T11, T2, T13, 68, T8. Like, this is a guy who took a solid chunk of time off and still comfortably made the FedEx Cup playoffs last year. Yeah, I mean, I um, like it. His form is not good enough for him to be my pick to win. Um, but uh, even just comparing his uh, data golf ranking to his uh, PJ Tour rank, like he's 119th in the official World Golf Rankings. He's 75th in the data golf rankings. Um, trending up a little bit uh, recently, but not nearly as good as he was in the summer. Um Man, this is a tough week. It all it always gets a little thin at this tournament, and I don't want to I don't want to pick Spieth because we can't agree, and I wasn't overly feeling Spieth anyway. Um, man, while you're thinking, while you're thinking, I do I do want to talk about I, I, Tom Hoagie. It would not surprise me if Tom Hoagie won. Like Tom Hoagie, he was hot back last year. Yes. He won it last year. He um has a has a T one at QBE this year. Obviously, it's QBE. His his form has been good. Has a good has a, has a few good finishes this year. Has a couple missed cuts and then hasn't looked super super strong. Past two weeks did have a good Friday, Saturday, Sunday this past week. But Tom Hoagie, I mean, he's he's consistently going to contend in, in some random event like this. And it feels like they could do it. All right. I'm not allowing myself to pick Matt Fitzpatrick or Victor Hovland because uh, again, we've been picking chalky and we have been cursing the chalk so far, except for John Rom, <laughs> which like, I think I could pick, like I think finishing tied seventh right now is the equivalent of a curse for John Rom. I think it's about as low as he could have finished. Yeah. Um, Man, it's and you can't really rely overly on course fit because they're playing three different places. Um, man, do I want to do that? Hold on, I got two guys I'm picking between. Let me see when the last time they were playing was. Man, I'm really gonna pick Mad McNeely, aren't I? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not gonna do it. I don't want to curse him. Um, okay. I'm gonna pick Seamus Power. Um still not super far down the board. He's 19 to 1. Um, so I'll take the I'll claim the Pendrith shot if it hits um like a coward. But Seamus Power uh had three top fives in his last uh, three events of the calendar year, including a win at the Bermuda, uh, finished 20th at Abu Dhabi a couple weeks ago. Um, he's uh, 17th in golf 
uh, data golf's trending table, which gets a little weird this time of year because guys aren't playing consistently. Um, but he's also one of the top 10 course fits for this, uh, with his short game for Pebble Beach. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Seamus Power. I was actually gonna take Seamus Power because he's, he's what fifth best odds to win, he's plus money to finish top 10 and top 20. Yeah, and he was I, he was a thirty six hole leader last year at this event. Yeah, I want to go further down the board, but I just I can't make, I can't make myself do it. Um, I really looked hard at Joel Damon. He's been playing well. Um, has been kind of since the U.S. Open. Um, love the guy. Hope he does play well. Three straight top tens in his last uh three events, but he hasn't played since the RSM, mm-hmm. which is just kind of a tough sell. Um. Yeah, I, I don't really have a whole lot of analysis for this upcoming week. I really wish I did. Um, I know Pebble's got tiny greens. We've seen Pebble a lot. Tiny greens, flat greens. Uh, going to be easy if a guy like Victor Hovland gets hot with his irons and hits a lot of these greens, he's going to go nuts. Um, if a guy like Jordan Spieth gets hot and hits a lot of these greens, he's going to go nuts. Um, but with the three-course rotation and the uh, – different event style i just don't really have a bead on the kind of guy that i really want to go for this i've always been terrible at picking this event outside of just blindly picking phil in the past and that's obviously not smart possible well yeah it was it was so smart but i can't do that anymore and i don't want to blindly pick jordan so this is one of my worst events at like actually kind of getting a bead on yeah i mean i think it's pretty hard super thin field but i mean i don't know not much analysis. I'm just oh. going super chalk again, like I have been the past couple of weeks. Hoping it pays off eventually. Yeah, I'm. I mean, you can only bet it so many times before it does. That's the point of the chalk. <laughs> um, but yeah, on to the last little bit of uh, men's professional golf news this week. Uh, Sebastian Munoz, as you mentioned earlier, uh, was announced that he uh, he'd be joining Live Golf. I don't think Sebastian said it. I think it was reported by a news outlet, but. Very yeah, widely telegraph, accepted. Telegraph, uh, telegraph reported. Um, we talked about it before the podcast. I saw some other members of uh, golf media talking about it this week. Um, this is not, I like this isn't a call to action in any sense of the word, especially not for me. But for a tour that is already not incredibly diverse, a lot of its Spanish-speaking population is now on the on, now on live tour. Sebastian Munoz, Joaquin Neiman, Sergio Garcia. Um, Abraham Answer. Yeah, these are the tours, like, like stars in that area of the world. That's a big community. Um, so I don't really know if that puts Liv in a better position or is an indictment on the tour in any way, because, again, it is still a meritocracy and Liv is still targeting these guys. Um, and I understand, in a sense, getting them, like, I don't, I don't want to say I understand getting the money. No. Anywho. Um, I, I was going to say, I understand getting the money makes it harder to like pin down who will and won't do it. Um, but it's still like an undeniable fact that it's a lot of the Spanish speaking players in the PGA Tour that is already kind of thin at non white representation. Yeah. I mean, sucks to lose a guy like Munoz. We've already lost you know, all those other Spanish speaking guys. Abraham Answer hurt. A lot of those guys hurt. Joaquin really hurt. 
you, I mean, it sucks to lose them. I, I don't really know what the PJ Tour can can do about it at this point, but I mean, yeah, it's just something you're gonna have to deal with. <clears throat> I mean, there's not really much else to say. I'm trying to find who the highest left. Uh, oh, John Rom obviously from Spain. But other than that, the next highest ranked Spanish speaking guy in in the uh OWGR that's still on the PGA tour is Adrian I don't even know how to say his last name. It's the highest right. Yes. Yeah, he is, uh, and he's a DP World Tour player. Yeah. So, I mean, you just outside of John Rahm, that's the highest ranked Spanish speaking golfer, not on, not on, yeah, not on live. Yeah, just scrolling down, Joaquin Neiman gone, uh, Abraham Answer gone, um, Mito Pereira top just broke into the top 50, gone, um, just. That's it, one big market that live has successfully kind of gotten a hold of. Yeah, and I don't know if that really says anything about the PGA Tour or Live Golf's future prospects, but it is still a fact. Yeah, I I, you know? I don't really know what they can do about it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just say Sebastian Munoz is the only guy who shot sixty one or lower twice last season. Um, but outside of that, uh, very, very solid player. I believe he's won twice on tour, maybe once. Um, but really, I think it's the reinforcement of that demographic that I think matters the most. Yeah. And Munoz, Munoz played this week on the PJ tour. Yep. Yeah, he did. He cut, but he did play. Yeah, he did. Um, I don't know if that means that this deal has been in the works for a while or not, but. This is the first news we've gotten of a guy jumping in a while. I think that matters too. Of just the the, the tap is slowing as of right now, and I don't yeah. know if that means that it's going to continue to be slow or not. But it is currently slowed down. Yeah. Um. In other news, uh, I don't know if we got to talk about this. Uh, last time we were here. No, oh, no, that's not right. Let me get it up on my screen first. Also, Demico Ryan's to the Texas. Yes. Uh, officially? Yes, six good years. For, good for him. He deserved oh, six years. Wow. Good for him. He deserved that job. Um, I don't think we talked about this uh, last time we were on the podcast. Uh, Brooke Henderson won the uh, LPGA uh, Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions to start their season. Um, they're not going to play again for another month, um, but wanted to at least highlight uh, shots uh, 16 under to finish. Um, four clear of Masha Stark and Charlie Hull. I think Masha Stark is someone we're both super bullish on for this upcoming mm-hmm. year. Um, so... Uh, Nelly Corda finished fourth. I think we waxed poetic about Nelly Corda and Lydia Co and the shape that they are in uh, currently with their games. Um, Lydia wasn't in, in attendance 
Um, she appears based on social media that she's been in vacation mode for a while and she deserves it. Um, but Brooke Henderson, 67, 66, 69, 70 uh, to win yet another tournament. Um, I don't really know. I've thought about this for like almost her entire career. I don't know if there's like an easy, and I it's I know it's a little reductive to compare LPGA Tour players to PGA Tour players, but I still think it works because they're playing the same sport. I don't know if there's a comp for Brooke Henderson on the men, in the men's game. She's won thirteen times since twenty fifteen, including That's two a lot of wins. Yeah, it is. Um, but she's also like never. And I say this as someone who's like uh, has the utmost respect for Brooke Henderson's game, but she's won 13 times since 2015, which has to be second or third most behind like Lydia and maybe Arya Jutanyagarn since and like over the last eight years. Um, and I don't think I've ever really considered her a top. Like, I don't think I've ever considered her in the hunt for number one player in the world. I mean, she's number six right now. Yeah, she is. And I don't say that as an insult. Um, I think 20, 2016, 2015, she had an argument. She was kind of like one and two with Lydia for a long time. Um, but it's like for someone who wins so often, um, it's it's a weird tandem because I think Brooke does get marketed very, very well. I, this is not a why doesn't the LPGA Tour market Brooke Henderson better, but it's weird that I don't like, and I don't think a lot of LPGA Tour fans consider Brooke to be the same tier of player as Lydia Ko or Anneli Corda. Um, and rightfully so. I don't consider her on that tier either. I think those two are on a tier by themselves, but she wins just as much as they do. Mm hmm. And part of that comes down to consistency and part of that comes down to performance in big events when she's not winning. But Brooke Henderson has won 13 times on the LPGA Tour. And I think we kind of lose that a little bit with her. She's 25. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, like, she, this yeah. is, like, she's a Hall of Famer, like, emphatically, when she retires, if she plays enough years. I know they have, like, the like the um, requirements and the mathematical equation that kind of determines whether or not you're in the Hall of Fame. Um but she's like marching. Like that's the trajectory emphatically. Um, and I don't think she gets, I think she gets viewed as a, like a mega talent a lot, but I don't think she gets credited as like a probable hall of famer a lot. And I think that's what she is. Yeah. I think she's a surefire hall of famer. I mean, one of the most talented women's golfers there is obviously not, Lydia Ko, Nellie Corder good, but I mean, she's not, I mean, she's not too far behind. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the LPGA Tour uh, won't play again until the uh, Honda LPGA Thailand near the end of February. Um, Lydia Ko maintains her hold on Rolex number one, uh, but their season started, and I don't think we talked about it last time we recorded, so I wanted to make sure that we circled back to it now. Um. But yeah, and a little bit of a resurgence for her over the last couple of seasons. Um, she had a bit of a gap. She won nine times between August 2015 and June 2019, and then didn't win for a year and a half. And she's won four times in the last two years now. 
including a major, her second major, long-awaited second major at the Evian Championship last July. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of that as, like, Brooke Henderson, of, like, in terms of, like, ten, not in terms of play style at all, because I don't think that's a fair comparison, because the LPGA Tour and PGA Tour are two very different things. Um, but in terms of, like, success and, like, career trajectory, I don't really know where that puts her. And a lot of her wins are, like, comfortable wins. Oh, yeah. When she's eight on, strokes. She's, eight like, strokes, I, four strokes, two strokes, five strokes, four strokes, four strokes, four strokes, four strokes. I mean, just a lot of the time when she's winning, I think it's almost 50-50. It might be, I think it almost might be exactly 50-50. Half the time she's winning, it's by four or five strokes at least. Yeah, no. And that's another thing, too. When I, like, when I say not on the same tier of Lydia Coe and Nellie Corda, she is on the tier of like her best might be the best. Like you have to consider that in the argument mm-hmm. on the LPGA tour um, of like who playing at their best would be the best player in the world. Like you said, seven wins by more than four strokes. Um, it's just including, including this past week. So yeah, uh, three wins since June. Uh, won the shop right in June, the Evian in July, and the Tournament of Champions. Um, and continues to kind of climb the Rolex rankings a little bit. She's up to sixth. Um, very curious to see the kind of season Brooke Henderson has. Because I think since she won the LPGA in that playoff over Lydia Ko, uh, I feel like we've all been like, – I feel like, for me at least, we, a lot of us have been kind of waiting or waited for a long time for her to kind of like take the women's game by the throat. Um and I don't think she ever, I, I don't, it's this weird, like, no man's land of, like, she was never, like, like, she was billed early on as, like, Lydia's rival. And then Lydia kind of faded away, and Brooke didn't really win more majors after 2016 right away. And so it's this weird, like, amorphous, like, we couldn't really compare her to Lydia anymore. And she wasn't winning majors, so it kind of feels like a disappointment. That sometimes you have to kind of like pinch yourself and look at a resume and be like, oh, crap. Yeah, I mean, she has 13 wins and two majors. So, it's, I mean. Yeah, no, that's Hall of Fame. So, at, at 25 years old. So, yeah, um, a, that was a lot of uh, gibberish. And I don't think I fully know what that take is there. But I think at the end of the day, the take is Brooke Henderson probably deserves more flowers than she gets in the women's game. I agree. I mean, this is the same girl that was 17 yeah. and won her first LPGA title by eight strokes. Yeah, no, she's emphatically the best Canadian professional golfer ever at this point. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know what that puts her at, but I think that uh, that success uh, deserves as much credit as it can get. Yeah, I mean, I think you really hit on it all, but, I mean, it's Brooke, I mean, she's not... Lydia Ko, Nelly Corda, she's right there. For sure. So that's all I had for this week in the LPGA Tour, um, other than the Majors Dark shout-out um, and how bullish we are on her. Um, but I wanted to make sure that it was at least addressed and, and brought up. Yeah, I think that's really everything. 
All right. Well, if you don't have anything else for this upcoming week in professional golf, and we've already given our picks for the week, do you have any closing notes, golf-related or non-golf-related, before you end the pod, DJ? Um, I don't think I do. I, we will next week, obviously, because Super Bowl's coming up. we got an Eagles fan on the podcast, but I, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But An Eagles fan who also really likes Pat Mahomes, so it's going to be a really, yeah. really weird week for me. Um, it is. Like, as much of a... I've I've been telling people all week, it's as much of a win-win as a Super Bowl could ever be if your team is there. Of like, do I want Philadelphia to win? Of course I want Philadelphia to win. But like, if anybody's going to kick our butts, I'd be okay if it was this guy. Everybody else, no. So, yeah. Um, looking forward to that game in two weeks, but that's kind of the extent of my picks. Uh, We've been on here a while, DJ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you go and get back on with the rest of your day. Um, so thank you for if you made it this far into our podcast and listen to us talk for this amount of time. Um, and we're excited uh, for another good week of professional golf and to be back here with uh, next week. We'll be pre we'll be previewing Phoenix, which is one of my favorite events. Oh yeah, uh, of the year in the uh, same so, city as Super Bowl. In the same city as the Super Bowl. So really excited for that. Um, and we will see you then. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs>